Welcome to the Beyond the Box Store podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interview Coach Darius Nichols. He's an assistant men's basketball coach at the University of Florida. Coach, how's it going? I'm doing well. How you doing? Doing great. Coach, you want to give yourself a, a brief introduction to our listeners? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, Darius Nichols, assistant men's basketball coach at the University of Florida. Um, headed into, uh, shoot, I think it's year seven. Yeah, year seven here at Florida, so it's flying by. Now, Coach, when I was doing my research, uh, you know, I saw that you grew up in Radford, Virginia. Talk about your time at Radford High School. Um, it was it was great. Um, you know, my time at Radford High School, I played, you know, I played with my brother for two years. I have an older brother, um, Shane Nichols, who's at Murray State. He, he's coaching there. Um, so, you know, played all four years at Radford. Um, my high school coach is, is probably one of the better, better um, coaches in the state of Virginia. You know, he's won a lot of state uh, state titles over the last few years. So, um, you know, just playing for him prepared me not only for college, but for life. So, um, Rick Cormie, that's his name. So, he uh, – you know, my experience there was was unbelievable. We we went to the state every year, never won a state championship when I was there, lost in a state championship game twice. And, you know, he won his first ones when me and my brother graduated. So he always uh, makes a joke about that. But, you know, it was it was a great experience. You know, you had a highly successful high school career. What other schools did you consider before signing with West Virginia to play for John Beeline? You know what? During during that time, I actually it was crazy. I actually committed early. Um, I committed as a junior, which um, you know a lot of a lot of kids don't do that nowadays. You know, they like string it out, make a whole bunch of graphics and stuff like that. So um, back then, I you know I committed as a junior. Um, it came down to Tennessee, Clemson, NC State. Um, you know, a lot of the ACC schools, um, and then I ended up uh, choosing West Virginia over them because John Beeline, um, you know, he started recruiting me when he was at Richmond and then he made the transition to West Virginia and he just, he kept the relationship going and I felt the most comfortable with him. Who were the coaches uh, during those uh, first three seasons? Uh, the assistants? Yes. Uh, I'm trying to think. It was a lot, you know, it was crazy because Jeff Neubauer, um, Jeff Neubauer, he recruited me, him and Mike Jones. Mike Jones actually left, who's at Radford now. He left before I got there. Um, so then when I got there, it was Jeff Neubauer, um, uh, Matt Brown, and and uh, Jerry Dunn. Okay. So then, uh, you know, Jeff Neubauer left. Mike Maker came in. Um so it was, you know, when I was there, I played for some really, some really good assistant coaches who you know, went on to be head coaches or head coaches that, you know, guys who were head coaches that became assistants. So, um, you know, I still keep in contact with, with many of them today and learned a lot from, uh, from all of them. I got to ask, what was it like playing in the old Big East? Uh, the old Big East, you know, I always make a joke, and you know, some of my Big East friends don't like it. I said that was the real Big East, um, but it was—I mean, it was—it was tough. I mean, it was a battle. You know, if you got the 62, 65 points, you was gonna win the game. You just beat up on each other every night. 
Um, and you have to think a lot of the, a lot of the old Big East is, you know, most of the ACC schools. So when you combine the Big East right now with the ACC, I mean, it was it was it was tough. It was tough. You had a lot of you had a lot of guys from you know New York, New Jersey, DC area, and it, it was highly competitive every night. Um, so yeah, I always always make that joke about the the new the new Big East compared to the old one. As a freshman on the team that advanced to the Elite Eight. Um, you know, then as a sophomore, you helped them make the Sweet 16. What do you remember about those two seasons uh, in particular? The the biggest thing I remember about, um, especially the first year, the first year um, when we went to Elite Eight, we were on the bubble. Um, we just, you know, we went on a run in a conference tournament, went through a lot of adversity, and then just get, got hot late. Um, but the biggest thing I remember was just how connected we were as a team. Um and you know it's a highlight video out from that year, and John Beeline's on there talking. He said, "You know the thing that the most underestimated thing on a team is team chemistry." He said, "Team chemistry is everything," and that's that's who we were, man. We were really connected. Everybody got along, and um, I, I think now with this generation, I think they think getting along is being a great teammate. I mean, that's not necessarily being a great teammate. You you should have some disagreements, but be able to move past it and work together. And that's what that's what we had on that team. Your junior year, the program missed the NCAA tournament. You guys did win the NIT championship, though. Talk about, in your opinion, your mind, what did that team miss from the previous two years? Was it that that chemistry and, and you know friendship off the court? No, we lost so many. We we lost so many guys. Um, I want to say we lost five seniors the year before. Um, yeah, I think it was five. You know, Kevin Pistanago, Mike Ganzi's, Pat Beeline, J.D. Collins. So those guys were, you know, dudes that laid the foundation. So then, you know, it puts us puts some young guys in situations that we've never been in before. So I I just don't think we were ready for it. Um, after losing so so many guys that helped us go on the run the first two years. Uh, um, we just, you know, we just didn't have enough experience. But I will say this, it, it's crazy because we missed the NCAA tournament. I guess you would say we were like the last four out nowadays. But so we beat, who do we beat? We beat UCLA at home. We beat UCLA at home. They were without their starting point guard. They were without Darren Collison. So, you know, selection Sunday, you know, the experts are on there talking. They're saying, you know, Florida, I mean, not Florida, I'm thinking, I'm thinking where I am now. Uh, West Virginia, you know, they they had a quality win against number two ranked UCLA team at home, but they were without their starting point guard, Darren Collison. But you know who their backup was that year, right? Was that Westbrook? Yeah, that was, it was Russell Westbrook. <laughs> so, I'm, so, so now, I, you know, every time I, I tell that story, I get mad because I'm looking to myself. We didn't get in the NCAA tournament because, you know, some of the experts or the numbers or whatever were thinking, okay, you know, it's okay win, but they don't have their starting point guard. And look at Russell Westbrook now. So, yeah, we didn't make the tournament that year. During your senior year, you played for Bob Huggins after Coach Beeline moved on to Michigan. What were your initial thoughts both when he left and then when Coach Huggins was hired? So, yeah, so when, when Beeline left, it was crazy. I'm, I'm going to tell you the story. So we were preparing for the NIT 
um, obviously Twitter and all that stuff wasn't wasn't around then. Um, so everybody was, you know, I wasn't watching TV, but everybody was like, you didn't know B-Line was leaving? I said, no, nah, I never heard anything. He said, it was all over TV and stuff. Like when, when you guys were playing, I said, I didn't, I didn't turn on the news or whatever. Um, so, you know, the speculation, like nowadays it would be all over social media. So when he left, it was a surprise. It was a surprise to me. And then, you know, we went through a period where uh, I think, you know, we didn't have a coach for maybe a, a week to two weeks. Um, so then everybody was saying, you know, Bob Huggins is coming back home. And I didn't believe it. I was like, man, there's no way he's not coming here. And then, you know, he, he took the job. And so, you know, us as college athletes, all we're thinking about is um, his team's at Cincinnati. So we're like, okay, we're about to go Jordan. So we were all excited about Jordan. And then we never went Jordan. Um, but then, then uh, you know, the thing that the thing that stood out to me was just how um, workouts changed. You know, workouts were totally different. It was more defense, you know, more physical, more one-on-one. And, you know, it, it was really tough, even for me as a senior, and I had been through the rigors of college basketball. But, uh, you know, he came in and, you know, the first workout, he said, man, you know what? I've never had this many guys that can make shots. And he also said, I've never had this many guys who can't guard the ball either. So, <laughs> you know, that he had to, he had to put his uh, imprint on the program and combining the skill set and the shooters that we had with, you know, how physical and how tough-minded he wanted to be on, on the defensive end. Now, as a senior, you helped spearhead the West Virginia 316 run. Talk about the difference in coaching styles and then that team was postseason run. Yeah, it was, um, you know, with, with Beeline, his teams, we didn't really emphasize rebounding the ball. Um, and it's crazy because we, we, I think we had the same, we had this, pretty much the same personnel from that my junior year to my senior year. But then when, when Hugs came in, it was, you know, we were one of the top rebounding teams in the country with the same personnel. So when I look back on it, it's like, you know, it's what you emphasize. A lot of times it's like, you know, uh, we don't have great rebounders. It's, it's, you may, but it's just, you know, what you what you put emphasis on. Um, so for for us, it was, I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a big difference. Just, you know, their personalities. You know, John Beeline and Bob Huggins got two different personalities. So um, that was the biggest adjustment for me because, you know, I had played basketball. I was a senior, um, so I had seen a lot. So the biggest thing for me was just um, just the different personalities, um, you know, beeline. The thing, with, the thing with both of them is they're master storytellers. Um, you know, both of them are great at telling stories. And so you, you're able to lock into what they're teaching. Um, the biggest the biggest difference is, like I said, their personality. You know, Hugs is going to be in your face and he's going to demand a lot. You know, beeline's going to demand a lot as well. But Hugs is going to say a little different than beeline does. You know, you're fi- you finished your career as one of the top five winningest players in Mountaineer history. Looking back on your career, what accomplishment are you most proud of? Uh, most, uh, I really can't say one in particular. Um, you know, some people would be like, oh, the lead eight one was cool. All the, the, the biggest accompli- accomplishment to me is that we were so connected that the relationships that we had then we still have today. 
and there's a lot of teams that don't have that. Um, and, and we have that, you know, we're in group chats together. We still talk, we get together. Um, a lot of us are still coaching, so we see each other on the road. Um, so the biggest thing I, I've, I've taken is not necessarily a season or, you know, certain situations, just the relationships that we had, you know, they're genuine. You know, after graduation, you played in the Hungarian League's A division. What was that experience like playing internationally? I was I was in Hungary not 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 long at all. I was there. I got there in October. I left in January. Um, you know, I, I hurt my knee, so I I couldn't finish the season. Our team went on to win the Hungarian Cup, um, but I didn't finish the season because I got hurt. So it was one of those situations. When I first got over there, you know, you're thinking, okay, I'm playing professional basketball. This is going to be nice. Um, but you go over there and professional basketball isn't like high major basketball in a lot of places over there. You know, you get paid, but what it looks like isn't what you're used to. Um, so when I got hurt in January, um, you know, I, I didn't know what to do because usually when you get hurt, you're still part of the team. So. When I got hurt, I came back to the United States and I had surgery here. Um, and then I, I was going to sign another contract to go back over and then I blew out my other knee. So, you know, my, my professional experience was short. It was crazy because I never missed a game when I played at West Virginia. In my first year playing professionally, I get hurt and, you know, into my career. So unlike the NBA, I'm assuming they didn't mail you a championship ring. No, uh, uh, I <laughs> they didn't. You know what? I, I got. Uh, I was hoping. You know, obviously, if if I finished it out, I would have had a nice little bonus and probably sign a a bigger deal the next year. But they paid me for two more months, and they said, "Okay, you, you're good." So <laughs> it's a little it's a little cutthroat over there. Gotcha. You know, ultimately, you decide to return to West Virginia. You join the coaching staff there. Did you always want to be a college basketball coach, you know, in the back of your mind or, um, you know, how did that come about and, and what was your actual title there? You know what? I, did, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I, I thought this is what I thought I would be. I thought I'd be playing in the NBA like everybody else and uh, just playing the NBA for years, retire, live the good life. That's what I thought. Um, my dad's a high school coach. Um, like I said, my brother's at Murray State. At that time, I had no idea what I wanted to do with life after basketball. Um, but when I went back to Morgantown, it's crazy because I was working at a local hotel because, you know, obviously I wasn't over there long enough to make a lot of money because I got hurt. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, I got to I gotta find something to uh, to make some money. So I was parking cars, uh, valeting cars. And it was crazy because you you were, you rewind a year, a year ago. I was a starting point guard. Now... You know, I'm, people are pulling up and they see me out there and I'm parking cars and everybody's, you know, asking, you know, what am I doing? They thought I was playing. Um, so that was a humbling experience. I was living on my teammates' couch. Um, so then, I, you know, I was going over rehabbing. I was going over watching practice. I was hanging around the basketball offices after I got off work. And then, you know, just talking to Hugs and talking to the guys over there, they said, why don't you, why don't you get into coaching? Why, why are you still trying to play? Like, I think you'd be a really good coach. And I fought it. I fought it for about four to five months. You know, I didn't want to give up uh, playing, but I didn't know if I wanted to coach. But you know, I thought about it, and 
I said, you know what, I might, I'm gonna give this a try. I don't feel like my body can hold up for as long as I, I want it to hold up. And so I became the grad assistant the following year. And so that's just when I fell in love with it. Um, I always wanted to do something to help, help kids. I wanted to do something to so, social work. Um, but then I said, okay, I can, I can help kids through basketball. So that's, that's when I said, okay, I want to be a coach. Coach, I got to ask, you know, you talk about that humbling experience, and I think so many of us in the business have had those humbling moments. Do you get any depression or any, any kind of, you know, emotions? You know, it's got to be tough. Like you said, you go from being the man to, you know, you're parking cars and guys are asking you, hey, why aren't you still playing and that kind of stuff? Yeah, you know, it was, it was really hard because um, at the time it's like you want to play, but your body's telling you, you, you probably don't have much, uh, you probably don't have many years playing. So it wasn't, for me, it wasn't the fact that I thought I was above parking cars or anything like that. For me, it was like, this is not the plan that God had for me. And you're trying to fight it and you, you're thinking to yourself, okay, I, I don't, I don't want to give up this dream. I mean, my dream is to make it, to play in the NBA. But at the same time, you know your body, you, you know you can't do it. So I fought, that's what I was fighting for the whole time. And then I said to myself, I mean, I'm comfortable doing what I'm doing um, as a grad assistant and, and just try to work my way up in the coaching industry in the next few years. You know, once you finished your GA program, you spent two years on staff at Northern Kentucky and, and really helped them transition from D2 to D1. You know, two-part question, you know, what was that experience like and – were you aware that they were going to be transitioning? Um, yeah, I, I did know that because Kevin Chappelle, who was uh, a grad assistant from when I played at West Virginia, he played at Northern Kentucky. He knew he knew the situation over there. So when they were D2, they only had two assistants. So he knew going D1 the next year, they would need another assistant. So, you know, he had kept me in the loop and I said, you know, I need to get on the road as soon as possible, get on the court um, to work my way up in the business. Um, so I took that job. Uh, I worked for a guy named Dave Beasel. And he he probably gave me the best advice for a guy coming from playing to coaching. And he told me, he said, just because you're a good player, don't expect them to know what you know. And, you know, as, as a young dude, you know, I was at a D2. Some some of the guys I was coaching was maybe a year younger than me. I had one guy on the team that was that was two or three years older than me. Um, So I, I just learned then, it, you know, it didn't matter. It didn't matter that I was a good player coming from West Virginia that I wouldn't know what I was doing. What was it like to be back in Morgantown and win an exhibition game when you were there as an opposing coach? <laughs> Uh, it was, I mean, it was crazy because, you know, we went in there, we were D2, um, you know, playing them and nobody thought we would win. And, you know, we hung around and then we just started making shots. And, you know, then the guys started believing and, you know, actually Ashanti Jones, who's coaching now, he hit a big shot at the end. And I don't know, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was just fun to be back there. You know, the team goes 23-7, and seven, tying the best record for start uh, in school history, going 13-0 and 0 along the way. And then the team participated in the D2 National Tournament. 
During the season, you guys won four games against nationally ranked opponents. How tough was that schedule, and how many of those teams do you think could have competed at the D1 level? The, I mean, I mean that schedule was tough. Like, so the league that I was um, that that we were in, the GLVC at the time, um, you know, I didn't know much about Division Two basketball, and, and Kevin Chappelle was telling me, "Say, I'm just telling you, there's there's a lot of guys in this league that are Division One players that can play at the high major level, and you know, we're playing Southern Indiana, so we're playing Bellarmine, uh, West, not Western Kentucky, Kentucky Wesleyan. You know, those were the top teams in the league, and. So once I got into the league, I was like, oh, man, you're right. And then we go to the Atlantic Sun the next year, and I told him, I said, you're right. There's not a big – there's not a difference between this league and, uh, and the A-Sun. And he said, I, I know. Um, so I, I think a lot of people don't understand how good Division Two basketball is. In 2013, you guys competed in the A-Sun. You guys were two wins shy of tying the record for most ever – wins by a division one uh, transition team how was the travel and recruiting different at the d1 level as opposed to the year before it wasn't it wasn't uh a big of a difference at all um i think the the only difference in division two level is you have more opportunities to go out and recruit where division one you're limited on the days and when you can go out so that year where we were division two was beneficial for me because i can just pretty much hit the road at any time and build a lot of contacts and not have to worry about how many days or when we can go out. So that year, Division Two, um, when a lot of people ask me, what do you think about Division Two? And I'm, I'm biased because that's where I started. Um, I say you should do it um, because it just helped me uh, being able to go out and recruit without uh, without limited days. But the the hardest part was for us, you know, we had we had a whole bunch of T-shirts that said MKU on it. And, you know, I was telling my boss, I said, none of these guys know what MKU is. I'm going to Chicago and I'm recruiting and I got an MKU shirt on. And then everybody's asking me, what's the MKU? I said, we got to start spelling it out. We got to spell out Northern Kentucky so people understand where we are and, and who we are. Wow, I really like that, Coach. That's, that's a point. I think a lot of – Schools that go by the initials when they're recruiting, you know, out of area, uh, really should look at doing that. Right. You moved on to Spartanburg, joined Mike Young's coaching staff at Wofford in 2013. And I got to ask, did you have a prior relationship with Coach Young from being in the same general area in Virginia? Yeah, I did. It's crazy. And we're really close. Um, so his, his aunt uh, was my elementary school PE teacher because Mike Young's from Rafford. Um, his dad was my middle school principal and his first cousin was my high school principal. Um, and my brother played at Wofford for him. So, you know, he, I've known him since I was young. Uh, he knows my family really well. So, um, you know, he's family. So when that opportunity came up, I said, you know, I got to jump on it. You know, I met him right after he got the Virginia Tech job. And when I went to go watch an ACC tournament game, uh, going to watch Miami play, and I saw I saw Mike Young in the front of the Virginia Tech bus, and I start waving, and then I'm, I get into the fan mode, and then I'm like, you don't know who the hell I am. <laughs> he ain't going to remember. You know what? The thing about him, though, is if you, to- if you introduce yourself, he probably would remember you. No doubt. 
you know, during your season at Wofford, the Terriers go get uh, 20 wins, you know, SOCON tournament championship. What did you learn specifically from working under Coach Young? And what was it like facing off against Coach Beeline's Michigan team in the NCAA tournament? Uh, the biggest thing I learned from Mike Young was he just how strategic he is in everything he does, you know, whether it's practice, whether what he does on campus. Um, I think he, he he's an unbelievable guy, but I think he does things on campus to make everybody feel comfortable. For example, like, you know, we were going into the, the faculty um, cafeteria, and so we always went through the back door. And I'm, I'm, I never asked. I, ne- I never asked, but I was always wondering why we always went through the back door. So we're going back through where, you know, the cooks are, where they're preparing the food and, and things like that. And then so it, it took me a while to uh, figure out the reason why he's doing that is because he feels it's important. And it is to 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 show the people that are preparing the food and maybe not getting a lot of credit or get a lot of love to for him to introduce himself and to talk to them and get to know them. And so things like that is is what I picked up on from him is just how you treat people on campus that can go a long way. That's good stuff. You know, since I've been coaching, it seems like every time I make the NCAA tournament or facing somebody I know or I worked for or or something crazy. So, you know, that being the first, my first uh, time making the NCAA tournament as a coach, you know, we get, we get Michigan, so I said, okay, I know I'm gonna get the scout. So just preparing for him, it was it was good because I saw how he changed. Um, I saw how he, he's adapted, and that's one thing about him that is really is really impressive is that he's always changed. Like, for example, you know, when I played for him, we was running a one three one. That was a, that was our base defense because we couldn't guard anybody, so we had to go one three one. And so the whole time, you know, he played. He played maybe two possessions of one three one that year. And so the whole time I'm like, man, he, he's probably going to throw it out because Mike Young runs a lot of good offense and he may not want to guard it. So I'm just preparing for the one three one and waiting, waiting on us to see it. But then, you know, I'm, I'm starting to read the article and he changed the name of the one three one. He started calling it Bigfoot. And he called it Bigfoot because it's something people always talk about it, but you never see him. So we didn't see the one three one. So that's why I, I thought that was funny that you know he called him Bigfoot and and he didn't do it anymore because he he's adjusted. It's interesting. You know, in two thousand fourteen, Mike White hires you to be an assistant at uh, Louisiana Tech. What was your experience like in Ruston? It was really good. I mean, the experience was great. I I wasn't there very long because um, we had a really good team. We had really good players. Um, and we, I mean, it was a fun style of play that we played at Louisiana Tech. So I was, you know, I got there, I want to say June, and we were out, uh, I want to say April or May. Um, you know, we had won the league. We didn't win the, uh, we didn't win the conference tournament, but, you know, we won the regular season. So it was, it was a great experience. You know, the women's program there had had more recent success. Talk about how you guys tried to match and potentially exceed the Lady Texter's success. Um, like I said, I wasn't I wasn't there that long, um, so it it really wasn't an issue because before I got to Louisiana Tech, you know, Coach White had won 
want to say three, yeah, maybe three straight, uh, three straight conference uh, championship regular seasons. So, I mean, he already had it rolling um, before I got down there. So I never felt like it was any, you know, pressure between the, the women's side and the men's side. I just felt like both programs were really good and uh, they can just kind of, kind of fed off each other. You know, Tyler Summit was hired and coached two years there. Did the coaching staffs interact much? I know sometimes, you know, office dynamics, you're at the other, you know, end of the building from the women's side, um, you know, and then secondly, did Pat Summit ever make any appearances uh, that you were able to, you know, meet her or see her? Yeah, no, we, we were really close with that staff because, you know, coach, we, we were we were young. <laughs> I guess we were younger then. Um, so we used to play, we used to play basketball. We played, we called it noon ball. We used to play noon ball every day. And so, you know, Tyler Summit would be out there playing, his staff, you know, our, our athletic director. So it, it would be everybody out there playing. So the, the, the dynamic between those programs were really good. But, no, I, I never saw uh, – I never saw Pat Summit um, down there. I know she came to some away games, but I never – I never got a chance to meet her. Gotcha. You know, like you said, the team had success. Um you know, and Coach White accepts the Florida job in 2015. You know, you go with him after working for only one year together. Yeah. How worried were you that you wouldn't be invited to join his coaching staff in Gainesville, or if you did, that it might even be in a lesser role? Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this about um, Coach White. The thing about it is, so when he hired myself and Jordan Mincy at the same time at Louisiana Tech, he, he said this. Because you know he had he had been up for a lot of jobs before that and he had turned them down. He said, "I'm hiring you guys because I want people that I'm going to be comfortable with taking them to the next to my next spot." And he he told us that on the, in the interview process. So you know, then you fast forward about six seven months and he gets the Florida job, and. You know, we we hear about it. So, you know, me and Jordan, we're looking at each other and we're thinking, hey, remember what he said, right? Remember what he said? You know, we started getting a little worried. Um, and, you know, he took the job, called us probably a, a few hours later. And he said, hey, you know, we're, we're going to Florida. And I don't know if you know Jordan. Jordan's a funny dude. So he says, we're going, me and me and Darius, we're going as what? Like, what are we going as? And he was like, assistants. And, you know, and this is not only in this business, but in this day and age, there's a lot of people that don't stay true to their word. Um, but obviously, you know, me and, me and Jordan were doing everything we were supposed to do, and he appreciated that. And he felt comfortable taking us from the mid-major level to the high-major level. So, you know, that's, that's something that, uh, you know, we're grateful for every day. That's awesome. I, I almost wish that I had that in writing. Because uh, I've been in that situation, right. told kind of similar things, and yeah. uh, things obviously didn't you know work out that way. Now I'm I'm glad he's a man of his word, and you know, that's awesome. You know he's replacing a legend in Billy Donovan. Yeah, did the community embrace the team that first season, or did you guys really have to earn it? Uh, I mean, I think it's one thing you have to earn, and there are things that you have to earn every day. Um, so that first year, I mean, 
coming off uh, Donovan's last year, you know, they uh, one of the worst seasons that he had. So going, there were there weren't many expectations on I think placed on us going into that first year, um, and you know, with the SEC changing, I think uh, I think the SEC over the last you know since we've been here is is way stronger than it's been in the past. So um, with the SEC changing. You know, us not making the NCAA tournament the first year, but then going on the Elite Eight run the, the second year. Um, I think that's when we started getting more support when, um, you know, when they saw progress. Year one in Gainesville, you guys go 21 and 15, 9 and 9 in SEC play, and then, you know, advance to the NIT quarterfinals. Uh, you know, were you guys pleased with that, you know, first year of the process? Uh, I wouldn't say we were pleased. I think that uh, I think there's things now that we know that we could have done better than. Um, but I mean, you're, you're following, you know, you're following a legend, and you you come in there, and and the guys don't even know your name. So it's hard for it's hard for to get guys to buy in, especially when it's when you're replacing somebody like Billy Donovan. Um, so it, I mean, we had our challenges. We had a lot of challenges of of creating that buy in and. Um, so I, I think I think it was successful, um, just kind of laying the foundation, um, especially with recruiting. Um, you know, you're calling, we're calling recruits so as soon as we get there, and they're asking us if you know Billy Donovan's still there, or did you work for Billy Donovan? It was, I mean, there's a few times I would I would say yeah, he's still here. <laughs> so, um, but no, it was it was it was a challenge the first year, but I think we got comfortable. Um, Leading, leading up into that second year. Gotcha. Now let, me, let me ask about the uh, the staff. Were there any guys that he did retain from that previous coaching staff? Um, no, not any assistants. He he retains uh, the all of, pretty much all of the support staff. Um, okay. Well, when I say support staff, you know, athletic trainer, some admin, strength coach. Um, he 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 kept all of those people. Okay, gotcha. Um, you know, you guys have a six win improvement, uh, the next year you guys make the elite eight of the, you know, NCAA tournament second in the SEC during the regular season. Talk about some of those coaches and players you guys face off in those first few years in Florida. Um, I mean, I want to say who was it? LSU, Ben Simmons. I mean, all the guys at Kentucky, I can't even remember. They had so many good players. Um, but you know, it's crazy because that second year, I thought what what was going to hurt us actually helped us because we didn't play any uh, we didn't play any games until in our arena until in January. So I think it forced us to become closer as a team. Um, when you're on the road, you can kind of create that dynamic of you know kind of what we have going on right now is a bubble. Um, so I think our team chemistry got better that year due to that. Um, but yeah, the the guys we face in the SEC. I mean, you're, SEC now. Um, I think compared to the years past, um, like you're you're facing NBA guys every day, and it may be a team at the bottom of the league or second to last, but they're gonna have an NBA player. Um, so you know, we face a lot of good players on a on a nightly basis. That next year, you guys finished third in the SEC. Uh, you guys had. And SEC that produced 
eight tournament teams. Yeah. How you t- briefly talked about it? How brutal is that schedule facing NBA dudes night in and night out? I mean, it's I think it's hard in our league because our league is. You know, I think this year's. I don't know if I had the final numbers. Is the fastest one of the fastest uh, leagues in the country. So when you're getting up and down, and the guys that are NBA guys, I mean, they can. I feel like our league has a lot of guys that can go for thirty on any given night. Um, so just facing those guys, I mean, you got to put together a game plan. Sometimes you may have to double them, deny them, uh, run and jump, and I mean, it's, it's it's difficult because teams have similar styles of play because a lot of teams in our league are going to get up and down. Um, so, I mean, it is difficult. You know, it's going in order. You know, that next year, you guys go 12 and 11 at one point. Yep. Uh, you rallied, a, you know, five in route to the SEC tournament where you guys advanced to the semifinals. Were you guys worried at any time about not making the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, during that season? Or did you guys look at, you know, potentially accepting an NIT bid? Or were you really, you know, lasered in and just, you know, one game at a time? Yeah, I mean, you know, when, I don't know if you know, but when you're on the bubble like that, they said they still send you the NIT paperwork just in case you don't get in. So I think we still got the NIT paperwork that year. So um, for us, it was like, okay, we had a lot of young guys. Um, and we had to change the way we played in the middle of the year, you know, we added a, a one, two, two press to slow the game down. And because we had three freshmen that couldn't play a lot of minutes. And, you know, so you had to slow the game down. We got boring, but we had to make that adjustment to get in the tournament. So for us, it was kind of a feel like a desperation. We didn't know. I mean, we knew if we didn't win those last few games that we weren't going to the tournament, but I don't think like when you're in there, when you're in the mix every day, you don't really have time to sit back and think, okay, what if we don't make the tournament? On a day-to-day basis, you're thinking, okay, so-and-so missed study hall. I got to deal with him, okay? Um, So-and-so needs extra shots. So you really don't have time to sit back and think, okay, we got to do this to to get in the tournament. What what are the major differences, if any, and I'm sure there are some, between – coaching at a high major and then a mid-major whether it's you know recruiting travel uh scheduling talk about that i think the biggest difference um from mid-major to high major level is at the high major level you have to make more decisions um i think when you're at a lower level with limited resources the decisions are made for you um so for example you know we used to recruit at some of the places I used to be, you going on the road in July or whenever, and there's a tournament in Atlanta, you're going to sit in Atlanta for the whole week because you don't have the money to get on the flight and fly to Indianapolis or fly to Dallas. So the decision is made for you. So, you know, then we get here and you have access to all these resources and you got to make a decision. Okay, there's a kid in Boston who really likes us. But there's also a kid in Miami or wherever who likes you too. So now it's okay, which which kid do we want? Because you have the the resources to make those decisions to where you can go anywhere in the country or almost anywhere in the world. That's really interesting. I never really thought about it like that. 
you were you guys, you know, you go into 1920 season, obviously no one could have predicted that COVID was going to happen, that it would be still be going on, but you know, you guys had two of the largest comebacks in Florida history <laughs> yeah. as a coach. What's what talk about the range of emotions, like coming back from a 22 point, you know, deficit versus Georgia and then 21 down against Alabama. Um, you know, we've had some where we've been up that year. We had some where we were, where we were up and we blew them too. So, <laughs> so you see both sides of it, um, that year. So, I mean, the range of emotions was kind of like, sometimes when you're down big, you still feel like you're in the game. You know, outside looking in, you may think, okay, this game's over. So I always tell people if they're fans or whatever, if they have no, if they have no strings attached to us, sometimes if we're up 20 or we're down 20, you want to see a really good game, just keep watching. Um, so that year was like, I mean, the range of emotions, it was, we were up big and you just felt like you were always in the game. So you didn't, you know, you try not to get too emotional or lose your mind, but um, you could see it on the player's face when they believed that they could win. And, you know, that's that's kind of how we felt in those situations. You guys posted a, a 19 and 12 mark during the season. You guys are in line of double-A tournament appearance and COVID hits. How difficult was it for guys since – you know, grad, you know, you guys had, you know, Kerry Blackshear Jr., yeah. grad transfer, wasn't going to be able to return. You know, talk about, you know, informing the team how you found out and then, you know, even a conversation with him or, you know, another senior who you just knew was not going to be able to come back. Yeah, I mean, those are hard conversations because nobody knew what was going on. So the conversations that you were having, you didn't have enough information, whether it's like, okay, you got guys asking, should I go to the NBA? And you just tell them, okay, I don't, I don't know if you can, like, I don't know if you, they're going to have a combine. I don't know how they're going to interview you. Um, so they're, I mean, they're looking for guidance, but we don't, nobody had any more information than anybody else. Everybody was, just, you know, everybody's waiting on the CDC at the time and they didn't even have the information. Um, so it, it was difficult to try to help guys navigate through it when you, nobody knew what was going on. So for us, it was just it just happened so fast. You know, we sent our guys home. Um, I mean, obviously, we found out during the SEC tournament, and, and when I found out, um, I was thinking, okay, well, we'll go home and rest, and at least we're in the NCAA tournament. And then later that night, they said the NCAA tournament's canceled. And then we go home, and we send our guys home, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, you know. I guess we got to get ready for recruiting in, in April and in, uh, in June and July or whatever. And then that got shut down. So we just, we didn't have enough information. You've coached three eventual NBA players and I might even be missing a few, but besides talent, what made them able to jump from Florida to the NBA? I think a lot of it is the people around them. Um, I think I think a lot of a lot of players when they don't have people around them that allow them to make excuses, they get a lot better. Um, and the most successful guys that that we've had here have had parents that um, that hold them accountable. So I think that's that's the biggest difference, and I think a lot of people. 
confuse player development with just stuff on the court, whether it's, you know, drills you do or things like that. Um, I think the best player development is when that player has people around them that help us hold them accountable. What was this season like for you as far as COVID restrictions and then playing in the bubble uh, for that NCAA tournament? Um, this, um, this, uh, I mean, obviously this has been the hardest season and it's not with, with the transfer portal and all this stuff. It doesn't seem like it's getting any easier. Um, just it made your days longer. You know, you get up in the morning, you got a COVID test pretty much every morning you're doing individuals. And when you do individuals, you usually have three to four guys in a group, but now you have one person, one coach, one ball. So you're working guys out all day. Um, so it's, it was more time consuming. Um, it was, I mean, it was, it was so many interruptions, you know, with what happened with uh, Keontae Johnson, you know, that, that took a big toll on our guys and their mental health, um, just seeing them and seeing him go down and, you know, curious if he's going to be all right. Um, so, you know, this has been the most challenging season, not only for us, but for everybody. Um, and then, you know, to top it off with, you know the rules that are in place with the transfer portal and things like that. It's 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 still uh, it's still not getting any easier. That leads me to my next question. I was going to ask, how's he doing? He's he's doing he's doing a lot better. Um, he's doing a lot better. He's in better spirits. He's he's around the team. He's you know doing some little bit of spot shooting. So he's 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 doing a lot better. That's great. Coach, you're you're a member of Coaches for Change. You were named. ESPN.com's 40 under 40. You were rated number two assistant coach in the SEC uh, during a stadium poll that year as well. How does it feel to make a difference as well as also being recognized for your coaching abilities? It feels great because, I mean, that's, that's, why, that's why I got into coaching is to make a difference. Um, and, you know, to, to join organizations and organization like Coaches for Change, you know, that's I wanted to make a difference in the community. You also want to make a, a big difference in your players so they can go out in communities and make a difference wherever they end up. Um, so I think, you know, the goal of Coaches for Change is to make, make an impact where you are so that others can go out and spread it. Okay. You know, are you looking to be a head coach down the road in the semi-near future? Or what, and if, if you are, what would the right opportunity look like? Yeah, I definitely, you know, that's definitely a goal of mine. I want to be a head coach one day. Um, what it looks like, um, I, don't, I don't know, because I, I never really said, okay, this is what I want it to look like. Obviously, I want to be in a good situation. I think sometimes people confuse good situations with uh, resources. And, and I don't think that's always the case. You want to, you want to be in a good situation around the right people. So, you know, whether it's a situation where they, you know, the AD and the, the president are all aligned, um, you know, those are situations where I think are really good, really good fits. Okay. I'm sure you've read over <laughs> plenty of graduate assistant applications over the years. Yeah. What are some things that, some of those guys or gals did that really stood out and made a, a positive impression on you? Uh, you know what? I, I would say the thing that stands out is that 
the way I think the way that I got a job um, was through summer camp, working camp. And, you know, you hear a lot of the older guys, they always say, OK, work camp, work camp. In the past, camps used to have recruiting advantages and things like that. I think now camps have networking advantages. Um, so I, I think there's too many situations where people just send resumes and, and send resumes. But um, what I used to do, I used to just work camps every summer, even when I was playing. I used to go work, you know, D2 camps, Division One camps. And the, the way I got the Northern Kentucky job is crazy because I was working camp at West Virginia as a grad assistant. And so my interview for that job, the head coach came and worked camp. He's a head coach at Northern Kentucky. He came and worked camp because he wanted to see how I ran camp. And I got the job that way. Yeah, I, I, one of the many reasons I can't wait for us to get back to normal. I absolutely can't wait to start working camps again. When Roy Williams and Matt is uh, press conference, I was getting texts and phone calls from, you know, all of the friends I've made over the years working that camp. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, I, I, once we get back to normal, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, camps are such a great way because, you know, every day is an interview uh, regardless, yeah. but you're around so many like-minded individuals and, and you never know who's watching. Right. And, and it's crazy because, you know, a lot of people, a good friend of mine, Brian Hodgson, who's at the University of Alabama, who had a really good year. I first met him. He 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 was uh, sending me emails um, when he was younger. We were both younger, um, and he was wanting to work camp. You know, he's driving all around the country working Duke camp, working West Virginia camp, any camp he can get to. And now, you know, he's at the University of Alabama, and a lot of people didn't see that behind the scenes. And you know, I, I'm pretty sure there's a stop along the way where he's working camp that helped him get to where he's got. Well, if possible, let's, let's try to connect after the podcast. I would love to work your camp down in Florida, uh, if possible. Yeah. I know that, you know, I think I have to fill out a form that we don't make kids you're going to recruit or whatnot. But, right. um, yeah, like I said, I love working camp, so uh, I couldn't yeah. agree more. For sure. You know, I'm not sure if it's directly impacted you at all, but how has the loss of revenue from this season changed how you guys operate as a program? Were there any travel arrangements that were different this year than other years, like, like taking a bus rather than flying? Yeah, yeah I haven't, I haven't, uh, I mean, we haven't felt that because I think in ways that we may have lost revenue, um, you got to think we haven't been on the road recruiting, which is a big part of that budget. Um, so, you know, we, ha I, I mean, I haven't noticed the impacts of it. Um, I'm sure other schools have, but um, things haven't changed for us. I mean, we cut back on our, our travel party, but I mean, that's obviously due to COVID. Um, so I don't know if, you know, going forward, if it would be the same. Okay. I, I can cut that question out. Yeah. Have you been tempted to participate in TBT? <laughs> in playing or coaching? Uh, both. No, I can't. If I played a TBT, that team's definitely not having a chance to win um, <laughs> that money. So, no, I haven't I haven't had temptation to uh, to play. I haven't had temptation to coach. Um, just because it would, usually with TBT, I mean, I can't commit to that because we're usually on the road recruiting during the summertime. I love watching it, um, but it, it's just too much. I think a lot of times the guys that coach in TBT are in those sports staff roles where they don't have to go on the road and recruit. I mean, I think that's a great idea if you're in one of those positions. 
but I haven't had any interest in coaching. Okay. And last question about Florida. How many of the former Gators returned to work out in the offseason? Uh, not a lot of them returned to work out, but they, they stopped by throughout the year. Um, you know, Cordy Brewer still does a camp every summer in, in Gainesville. Um, sometimes they stop through for a football game or homecoming or something like that. But in terms of coming by to work out, you know, a lot of the NBA guys, you know, they like Miami, they like LA, they like Atlanta, you know, places like that. They, they're really not coming to Gainesville to work out. Okay. Coach, we've come to the segment I call start bench cut. I give you three things. You start one, bench one, and cut one. Okay. Start bench cut. Okay. Starberry, champion, and one. Cut. 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 Which one? Oh, oh, oh we're doing all three. Yeah, yeah, all three. <laughs> okay, okay. Say, say it again. Okay, Starberry, champion, and one. So you got to start one, bench one, and cut one. Starberry champion. Start champion. Uh, cut Starberry bench and one. Okay. Might be one of the tougher ones for you. Pitts Noggle, Joe Alexander, Kevin Jones. <laughs> uh, uh, let me see. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna cut Pitts Noggle because I'm I'm basing it off now. I'm cut <laughs> Pitts Noggle. I'm gonna start I'm gonna start Joe Alexander. And I'm going to bench KJ. Okay. Okay. Uh, Raisin Canes, Chick fil A, Zaxby's. Cut Raisin Canes, start Chick fil A, and bench Zaxby's. Okay. He got game, blue chips, Hoosiers. Uh, Start, start. He got game. Uh, cut Hoosiers bench. Uh, blue chips. Okay, last one. Hoop dirt verbal commits NCAA transfer portal. <laughs> uh, cut the transfer portal. Uh, what, you, what was the other one? Hoop dirt and verbal commits. Uh. Um, start verbal commits, bench, uh, hoop dirt. Okay. Coach, you've given great advice and insight throughout the interview. What advice do you have in particular for somebody who's either trying to work their way up the business or hmm. break in in some sort of entry-level role? Um, I would say... Every person you meet, if you meet somebody new, write them a handwritten uh, letter after you meet them. Okay. Okay. Everybody's texting and emailing and Instagramming and whatever. No, you are 100% correct on that one. You know, if listeners want to get in touch with you, <laughs> minus, or if they want to write a handwritten letter, you know, what's the, what's the best way? Uh, email, social media, what have you. Uh, you know, somebody just wants to pick your brain about something. 
Oh, shoot, you can, I mean, you can text me or whatever. I mean, 352-316-2763. I mean, I'm, it, it's crazy in this business, everybody has has each other's cell phone anyways. But if you don't have it, you can get it. So um, I'm okay with, you know, giving my cell phone number out and communicate with whoever needs help because, I mean, sometimes I need help as well. So I think, I think, I think what has happened with this COVID situation, I think coaches have come together. You know, it's, it's been great that everybody's getting on Zoom, sharing ideas, picking each other's brains. Um, so, you know, hopefully when, when things, when things are getting back to normal, but hopefully we just continue to do that. Uh, you're so right, coach. Uh, you know, coach, again, I just want to thank you so much. I know, doesn't matter what level you are, you know, taking time out of a coach's day uh, is, you know, asking a lot. You know, everyone always has, uh, you know, more time than money. But, you know, when you're a basketball coach, time is of the essence. It's very important. So I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day. And, uh, you know, I look forward to staying in touch with you down the road. Yeah, yeah. Please, uh, please shoot me a text and uh, we'll, uh, we'll stay connected. Sounds good. All right. I appreciate you, Dave. No problem, man. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.